You know, Osbaldo, I was thinking the other day that when we started this podcast, you were 21 and now you're 23. Yeah, I know. It's kind of crazy, Pastor. Don't don't put it in that perspective. I feel like time is going too fast now. Hey, tell me about it. Remember last summer uh, at the end when I told you I had just turned 60? Do you remember your response? I don't remember my response. I just remember being shocked. Yeah, no that's offense, what, I didn't know you were that old. You that's, know? What it was. that's what it was. You said, you're 60? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, and I, goodness, said, I said, I don't know if that's a compliment or that's a criticism. No, it is a compliment. <laughs> you're, you're in good shape, so that's a good thing. And I, I heard uh, you're still active, right? You're playing pickleball now? Yeah, I'm doing tournaments here in, in Phoenix area. It's been a lot of fun. Hey, I don't know. I think it's an old people thing, Pastor. Uh, actually, I played with all 30-year-olds uh, last week. Oh, never mind. <laughs> no, that's awesome. It used to be for elderly. And now the average age, I think, of pickleball is in the 20s and 30s. It's really changed. Yeah. And it's a really fast game now. Yeah, that's, that's cool. Well, let's just talk about pickleball for an hour. Then we'll be done. <laughs> this, the church and pickleball. <laughs> all right. So... Today, our topic is the church and manipulation. And this idea of manipulation is so common, we've all experienced it. But it's a problem partly because of the way Protestantism is since the Reformation. Uh, we went from you know one movement to three or four denominations, and they kept splitting off and splitting off. Now we have hundreds and hundreds of denominations and independent churches in the Protestant world. And there's a limited uh, limited number of Christians out there. And if churches are honest, they're all competing for those Christians. Now, we all would love conversions, but they don't happen very often if we're honest. Yeah. So, you know, thank God they do happen. So you have all these denominations who want to show why you should come to their church or their denomination over others. So there's this capitalistic competition mindset that has permeated the churches, and that very temptingly can lead to manipulation. And what is manipulation? It's the skillful handling or controlling or using others to your own advantage. And this is not just true with mega churches, as if they're the only ones that are tempted by this. Any denomination or small church or conservative church can be just as manipulative in trying to convince people to come to their church. Hmm. So we're going to talk about that today, but any initial thoughts on that idea? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, th I think you, you, you make a great point saying that 
the buffet of churches kind of mixed with, you know, marketing skills that kind of try to be imported from like business, trying to put it into the church. You know, that has radically changed the last landscape of like what it means to have a church experience. So like you said, everyone, everyone's trying to get an up on, on the other. Let me give you an example. Um, the, the, my, where my parents live, where I grew up, on one street, you, like I kid you not, in 30 seconds, you pass through four churches, two mosques, and well, now they're building a Hindu temple right in front of one of the churches. So it's like it's a hugely religious um, center, I guess. And right, <laughs> one of the mega churches there is huge, humongous church right next to it. Right, right next to it is an extremely small church, probably the size of Cornerstone, no more than 80, 100 people. And the way they, they, the small church kind of markets itself is, hey, come have a small church experience. And I just find it super funny because it's obviously, you know, what they're trying to contrast with, the mega churches right next to it. So it's like they're, they're so desperate to survive. And I'm not just trying to like pinpoint this particular church. I'm pretty sure this is something that's across the U.S. and just the Protestant world in general. They're so desperate to survive that they're willing to just kind of do anything right? Criticize the other one or just kind of highlight what we do best and just go with that. So yeah, subtle forms of manipulation, but it's there. And I think it stems from this desperation to survive. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, we're, we're, we're tempted to live to, and we think that's our job to keep our organization going to survive. Hmm. And, and how do you not feel competitive when there are so many different you know, churches to go to or denominations. Yeah. So let's look at some of the means of manipulation. And this can be uh, sort of subconscious or for many, it's just they're manipulators. So we don't know the heart, but some of the means, the first one would be legalism. And mm. that if you follow our way of obeying the Lord, then you'll have God's blessing. And so this can be done by a more liberal-leaning church or a very conservative church. But the idea, if you perform and follow the Christian life the way we lay it out, that's where God's blessing is. And so they manipulate people to find God's blessing through following their directives, whatever that is. Um, hmm. The next one would be exclusivism. And that's the idea that we are the faithful ones. Most of the church is unfaithful or less faithful. And so you give the impression by joining your church, you are proving your spirituality. You are proving your faithfulness. And of course, by leaving our church, then that would show you're not very faithful. And that doesn't have to be in writing. That can be implied in the way things are spoken of, the way other churches or Christians who disagree are spoken of. You can give the impression that we are the faithful ones. We are the ones following scripture. You, know, you always hear people in certain places say, well, we worship according to scripture. As if we're the only ones. You know, Is there a Christian group anywhere that says we don't worship according to scripture? I don't think so. Pretty much they all say that. Yeah. And so there's exclusivism that you, you're sort of afraid to leave because of this unspoken that you'll be unfaithful to God. 
And the third one is what you just said, the manipulation of emotions by manufacturing or claiming spiritual experience. Here's where you'll find the Holy Spirit. Here's where you'll find an ex a spiritual experience. Now, there are obvious ways to try to manufacture that. Some of the larger churches use uh, fog machines, uh, music, and music can be manipulative. Um, I was at a church a couple of weeks ago and it was really bothersome to me. I wouldn't go back because when the pastor was reading the scripture, the pianist was still playing the piano or the keyboard to produce some kind of experience. I don't know why we need to hear music as we're listening to the scripture. It's the yeah. word of God. I'm an adult. I can handle listening to the Bible. <laughs> but the music was kind of loud and it really distracted me from even hearing what was read. But they were obviously trying to produce an experience. Or even the way your church or parachurch group is spoken of. God is doing incredible things here. You know, it gives the impression that God is greatly working and blessing here opposed to those other churches. So they always overstate. We don't know exactly what God is doing, but it's always these wonderful, incredible things when they write about their church. Mm. Um, yeah. And then that goes right along with fear that there's fear then of losing, of leaving that church or group because you're going to lose the spiritual experience. You'll lose God's blessings for not following their prescription of the Christian life. Whatever it is, you fear if you change churches or your convictions change, that there's this fear involved. And that's all manipulative. That's not really trusting in the truths of the gospel. Yeah. And so those are, are just four examples. Can you think of an example of one of them that I already mentioned? Yeah. Before I do that, I actually think I have one more, Pastor. And I think it, it's more common in youth in youth ministry or children ministry is incentives when you at least i've been in, in churches or i've heard of churches where you the youth or the children are encouraged to invite people and if they invite people invite their friends or whatever they get a prize and that's a that was a huge thing i remember um one of my friends they were at his church was like having like a like a a revival meeting i think i've shared this story before but he got a tablet a whole tablet because i he invited me. I invited like four other friends and like in whatever the tiers they were that youth minister was working on. He got like the highest prize available. So he got a whole tablet. And I was just I didn't think much about it because I had a lot of respect for him, my friend. But I was I, I just thought that was weird. You know, wow. I was what, like, what, what's the address of that church? <laughs> uh, <laughs> just free stuff uh anyway but yeah it, like stuff like that that i'm like looking back i'm like that is a form of manipulation because you're one i think you're instilling especially in young children and young people this idea that uh your good works will get some sort of earthly reward and i know that might be a little bit oversimplistic but i think that has huge consequences on the long run and definitely not a healthy mindset especially when it comes to what does it really mean to evangelize someone, right? Is it is there really some personal gain there, or is there a genuine desire, right, to to share God's God's hope and love to them? So I think I think that's that's one of them. But going back to your to your list, I think the the ones that are always the most hurtful 
is always the ones that have to do with exclusivism and isolation. Because like you said, it's, it's, it's a weird cultural thing. It's always subtle in many ways. We're um, at least the most toxic church that I've been in, been in that's that the isolation one, the refusal to associate with anyone, but those who support them, except those who support the, the manipulator or the pastor, man, that's how they get you. Because you're so entrapped in the church life, in a church culture, that you don't even like realize it yourself that you can't leave because you're so, and you, you, you even though you see like the pastor doing terrible things, you're so afraid to speak up because, like you said, it's because you don't want to uh, get outside the little club because you don't think there's anything else out there. Yeah. Well, there's a let me list a few more examples. One is once they're in your church, threatening them with the need to be in church every Sunday. Now I'm all for regular attendance, but using the Bible to say that you shouldn't miss church or you can't take a Sunday and do something with family or, you know, if you have to go into work, um, you give people the idea that if they miss a Sunday, if they're not in church every single Sunday, God's not going to bless them or they're not going to grow. Again, it's it's overemphasizing something that the Bible doesn't. While the Bible says we are to be regularly gathering, it's it, there's no sort of legalistic. But don't you dare miss a Sunday. <laughs> yeah. And so there's this fear that I have to be in church. You know, this whole debate a few weeks ago on whether we have to have church on Christmas morning when people are with families. Whatever you think of this, this idea that if you miss one Sunday, God's going to judge you um, or you're a terrible Christian, that's just manipulative. It ta- You know, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so we have to balance that. We're, we're not to simply ignore the gatherings, but not to balance that too far the other way, that if I miss a Sunday, I'm always in sin. Yeah. Um, unless I have some excuse that has to be approved of by the pastor or something. (laughs) My goodness. Uh, The next example would be holiness preaching to the point that um, God's going to judge you if you're not holy enough. And you sort of get addicted to that preaching because you think that's the only church that is true to the strong word of God. You know, all these other easy believism churches and my preacher preaches holiness. So he's always warning us we have to be more holy. But that's manipulative. That's not relying on the gospel of grace. It's not relying on that Christ already obeyed in our place. There's obviously a place for holiness, but that type of preaching that is all about how you need to do better and more all the time. It just sort of keeps people addicted until they burn out, basically. Or they grow in pride that they're the only holy ones. Now, the opposite side of that is easy believism. That's where the way we'll grow a church is we won't explain the difficult parts of Christianity. We won't talk about hell or the call to obey and suffer and take up our cross. As Jesus said, take the narrow road, um, the, the the biblical view of money and giving and patience, suffering, etc. 
that because that's not popular, that won't grow our church. So we'll leave those out and only talk about God's love and forgiveness, etc. And that's manipulative too, because we're ignoring really important parts of the Bible, that there's no full Christianity without it. So those are sort of opposite sides of manipulative behavior of churches, but they're both true. Can you think of any examples of those three? Yeah, uh, one sort of a church from a, a close, a good friend of mine. Uh, she she said that when she was younger, she, her church would give out certificates for perfect attendance, Pastor. So like at the end of the year, they will call up the people who had a really perfect attendance. Uh, and she says that that's like she strived for that. Like even when she was sick, she was young, she was a little girl, she would do anything just to get that perfect attendance. And I'm like, mm, that's, I just, I was just trying to be nice. I heard it, it was good Christian person. Uh, person. So I was like, okay, but like, that's, that's really manipulative. I'm like, okay. And they also did it for adults. So I'm like, okay, so you go to church almost for like a certificate or for public recognition, right? Not because there's a general, a genuine conviction that, you know, God has called us to worship in community or something like that, right? So, like that's a that's a subtle form of of, of manipulation, and and, and I, I'm pretty sure I have an idea as to why the pastor want to do that, right? Almost a little bit of a shaming people who don't come perfectly or incentivize people to do so. Like that's a form of manipulation. A second one that uh, actually Megan Pastor she told me about, and it has to do with holiness preaching. And I'm pretty sure you've mentioned this before. Uh, that people do this but she says when she was like six years old she was like uh and i don't know if it was like an ifb church or something and she says that her sunday school teacher kind of got in a conversation with her that if she didn't know the exact time or date of her conversion or whatever she wasn't a true christian and she says she really freaked out at six years old because she didn't remember the time or the date and I'm like, that's crazy because like Im implied right behind the, the Sunday school teacher's words is like, oh, God judges people, <laughs> not only according to Christ's work, but according to your knowledge of the exact time and date of your conversion. And like saying that aloud sounds ridiculous, but it's people what people really do say and, and, and do. But all this to say, uh, Megan tells me that they they left that that church after that. Her mom was like not to, did not tolerate that whatsoever, which was super, super helpful. But yeah. Yeah, that's really sad. She had to experience that. Yeah, it's crazy. So there's other forms of manipulation. And that is when in evangelism, when we want to grow our churches, our organization. One, as I said, is to leave out difficult truths to the unbeliever. And so we can present the gospel with no seriousness of the law or the judgment of God. In other words, why we need the gospel. And it's more the gospels presented as God is a friend who wants to love you, open your heart to him, and he'll guide your life, that type thing. Hmm. And that's not the way Paul presented the gospel at all. No. Um, or even to count the cost, and especially in the American context, that Jesus warned people who said, I, I want to follow you, to count the cost, to understand what this means if you're going to be a follower of Christ. And so warning people, not that um, you have to be a certain level of committed before you're a Christian. It's not our level of commitment that saves us. It's faith. 
But the Christ that they're going to have faith in calls them to a life of discipleship. They have to understand that. Yeah. That is the Christ. And so J.I. Packard wrote in his book, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God, he wrote, in our own presentation of Christ's gospel, therefore, we need to lay a similar stress on the cost of following Christ and make sinners face it soberly before we urge them to respond to the message of free forgiveness. In common honesty, we must not conceal the fact that free forgiveness in one sense will cost everything, hmm. or else our evangelizing becomes a sort of confidence game, a con game. You know, we give the impression that if they become a Christians, all their problems will be solved in this life. And so a second way we can use manipulation in evangelism is to see people as objects. That we don't befriend unbelievers unless we are preaching to them. And that's our only relationship with unbelievers. We don't enter their lives. We don't get to know them. We don't try to minister and help them in other ways. We only preach to them to get that notch under our belt that we've done our job. And that's just using people for our own benefit, either to grow our church or to feel good about ourselves. And that includes talking to unbelievers without listening, not respecting boundaries. If they don't want to talk about spiritual things, that, that we're not respectful of the boundaries they have asked for. We are servants of people. The, I, I've mentioned this movie before, but in the movie The Big Kahuna, one of the... <laughs> The best um, quotes is, as soon as you lay your hands on a conversation to steer it, it's not a conversation anymore. It's a pitch. Hmm. And you're not a human being. You're a marketing rep. Wow. So when you're talking to unbelievers, but you're not really interested in them or what they're saying, you're just trying to turn the conversation to religious things. That's manipulation. And... If somebody's doing that to you, you always know it. You know, you can feel it. Can you give any examples of that? Yeah, so I got I got two examples, one from one extreme and one to the other. Something that was kind of big for a while, I don't know if it still is, but it was kind of something that came up in my at least in my social media is this idea of of people ought to belong before they believe. Belong before they believe. And this was popular in kind of like the bigger churches. So they wanted to be so seeker friendly where they wanted to incorporate non-believers into the community first. Let them be part of your Bible study. Let them be part of your meals. Let them be part of everything. Uh, that should be our priority or number thing. Then we should focus on them believing. But that's secondary. Let them belong before they believe. So that's that's an example of kind of like um, not telling them the whole story, right? Because like there's a there's a reason why we gather. It's not just because we're friendly. It's not a social club, right? And we talked about this. The church is an eschatological community on whom God has poured out His Spirit. So in one sense, I'm not saying that you can't hang out with unbelievers, but in a church context where you're like, we should let unbelievers feel as if they're one of us, and an extreme form of that is let them partake even of the Lord's Supper. It's an open table. Let them just have this feeling of belonging, so that that can lead them to believing. And I'm like, ah, that's kind of not how it works at all. No, it's not. We don't. We can't forge an experience. 
Because that experience of fellowship, that experience of worship with God's people is something that only the spirit produces. It's not something that's merely done by external things. So I think that's a form of manipulation too. Um, a second, in the other extreme, um, um, kind of, <laughs> by the way, I had to search up what the big kahuna was. It took me, I didn't, I didn't know what that was. Most people but, don't know. <laughs> yeah, but I actually heard, talking with someone about engaging with the Muslim community, evangelizing the Muslim community. This is what they told me. This says uh, that when evangelizing Muslims, pretend like they are evangelizing you, but in reality, you're evangelizing them. So you, you, you so I was like, I had a whole conversation with this person afterwards because I'm like, first of all, that is extremely inappropriate, extremely bad. It's that's such a dishonest way to approach evangelism. Um, but that's that's a like you said, like kind of going back to the the quote from the Bikahuna, which I think is so so great. You're you're lying to them. You're, you're you're presenting this this idea of friendship, of of kindness, but in reality, you have an ulterior motive. Uh, and this is something that I've I found super helpful into that into especially with Muslim ministry. It's something that my cousin who works in in California with uh, with the Muslim community he says we don't we don't argue people into the kingdom and likewise we don't lie or trick people into the kingdom. We're super upfront about who we are and about our friendships. We're Christians, but we want to be friends with you. Are you willing to do that? So that I don't know. That's just an example, but yeah, th- those are very very extremes. To extremes yeah those are good examples and that leads to some examples of manipulation and preaching how do we get people to stay in our churches um, and then and that even that idea is somewhat selfish instead of what grows them in christ you know how to keep them in our churches in preaching well one would be planned emotions you want to create an emotional experience you know, emotions should flow out of the preacher naturally. It's not something he has to plan. And so when you plan your emotions, this is where you'll speak softly or get emotional or yell or whatever. You're trying to produce an experience from the pulpit that excites people or convicts people or whatever. But when it's planned, it's manipulative. Secondly, addressing personal beefs from the pulpit so people don't challenge the leadership or ask questions and i i have a good example of this i have friends that were in southern california and they went to i think it was a calvary chapel a large calvary chapel this is years ago and they started reading spurgeon and they started liking some things they read from spurgeon which was obviously different from what they were hearing and they mentioned it to the pastor that they're reading spurgeon and they may have some different convictions from this and that's sunday from the pulpit in the sermon the pastor said something like in summer you are so busy reading spurgeon you're not reading the word of god uh, my goodness yeah. <laughs> dang yeah i wonder who he was talking about yeah for real yeah, but that's not just for that couple that's sort of a warning from the pulpit to not ask questions to not read outside of our doctrine that type of pressure. Um, another way to manipulate is to choose topics of preaching for the sake of the organization over over the sake of, of the needs of the people listening. Um, this is really common. Next month, we're going to do four weeks on tithing. Okay, we know what this is about. We know why you're doing this. Forget the fact that you're 
doctrine, you know, your theology is wrong on tithing, but why are you doing four weeks in a row on tithing? Well, the giving is down. If the giving was up, you probably wouldn't have chosen that. And so what you're doing is you're choosing a topic for your own benefit, not for the benefit of the people. Uh, you know, misusing scripture for your own personal agendas as a pastor. Fear-based obedience. Uh, I have a friend who says the problem is in that church is it's gospel due instead of gospel done. Hmm. That's good. So they may mention the gospel, but it's all about all the things you better do because God may still be angry with you for your lack of holiness. So it's a fear-based obedience that sort of keeps you um, going, being a part of that movement. So those are some examples of manipulation and preaching. Have, have you seen any of these? Oh, yeah. Let me give you just two. So when we were going, we confronted one of our pastors, not not in Cornerstone or anything like that, but back in uh, the day. Since I've been your only pastor in Cornerstone, it better not be. <laughs> no. So, uh, man, we, we confronted the pastor about certain things, and some people some people did, did as well. And that Sunday— he 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 got up and he's he's he he said, um, for those of you who want to go against the work of the Lord and God's anointed, look behind you. There are the doors, right? In wow. a small church, everyone everyone knows who he's talking about. Or another example, and it actually came from a friend, and I really felt super sorry for her. So her church is one of those churches that have a dress code for only for women for some reason. And she she went to the rodeo and she posted a picture of her looking like a normal, normal young adult. Right. Nothing, nothing scandalous. But obviously it went against her church's dress code. And she said that that Sunday, the pastor was like, oh, someone went to the rodeo with inappropriate clothing. And everyone knew who it was. And then like the sermon that day was about, I don't know, holiness and and how you dress or whatever. So she got targeted that day. So really, really sad. And just kind of hearing these stories, it's just like the amount of hurt that people um, go through. And it's sad because it's like, if you're not, if like, if you're especially new to the faith, you start thinking, you know, this is the gospel or this is the church. And the church is only, the gospel only hurts instead of reassures me or gives me hope. So exactly. very unfortunate. And people who've experienced this hurt, sometimes they have a hard time reading the Bible because mm. verses have been used and twisted wrongly. They're almost afraid yeah. what they're going to read. Oh, yeah. I mean, talking from someone, actually someone very close to the, to our family, she says that the word submission in the Bible really triggers her because of like the amount of abuse she's received. And it's just really unfortunate because that's a, it's a biblical word, but it's just been so abused that exactly. it brings back really bad memories. Well, one other um, type of manipulation is probably the most obvious one that's known as the manipulation of money. And that can be promise of God's physical blessings if you give to the church or even spiritual blessing. If you give to our church or organization, God will do this for you. Uh, requiring a tithe from everyone is beyond the Bible especially the poor people who can barely pay their bills. And then to suggest that's the way, if you follow this law, to obtain God's provision and to, to give the impression, if you don't give 10% to the church, God won't provide for your needs. That's manipulation. 
attributing spiritual fruit to the organization more than to Christ. Hmm. Um, I was in churches for years, though I heard the gospel. I never grew until this church. So the Holy Spirit didn't grow you all those years until you went to a certain organization? That doesn't sound like God's promise at all. Um, the Lord told me, you know, I think you mentioned this, God spoke to me and therefore you should support this in the church because God's given us this vision. No. You know, you try to put the Lord as if you know the mind of God behind it through some kind of revelation. And even unreasonable and unnecessary demands to preach at like conferences. Um, I teach a class in Malaysia through Zoom and they talk about the American pastors that come over there to teach in a conference. They charge so much that the poor Malaysians can't go. That's crazy. Only the Malaysians with money can go because the church also charges a lot to go to these weekend conferences um, but part of that is the demands of the speaker. You know, the Apostle Paul would never be caught peddling the word of God for money. Hmm. And there's nothing wrong for asking for our basic needs to be met. But the type of unnecessary demands financially, which is very far from the Christian faith. So those are some obvious examples of manipulating people with money. Uh, for money, or even to treat people differently who give more. That's real common in the church. The ones who give don't ever get rebuked or confronted for anything versus those who don't. People treated differently or given more attention. There's all kinds of examples. Can you think of one? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm a little bit nervous to share this one. It's like, the title at least makes me a little like feel like it's inappropriate, but it's not. But the, I heard, once heard a televangelist talk about circumcised money. And if that sounds weird, it is. It's super weird. And his point was um, when you give, uh, when you tithe to the church, your remaining money is now circumcised or blessed. And all the purchases that you do with your remaining money are blessed and you're going to get the best out of your remaining money because you have given it first to the Lord or something like that. So I'm like, oh my goodness. So obviously, if you, the message is if you want to be do good or have the best of the best, you got to first give to the Lord. Um, that's one example. The, the second one comes actually from a really good pastor. I love him very much. And I, I, so it's just on this subject, he, I think he, he just preached it very wrongly. But if I could summarize the whole sermon, it's he used to have really bad money management until he started tithing. Then he began having really good money management. And I was like, that sounds at first I was like, man, that's awesome. And then looking back, I'm like, ah, I don't think it was the tithing per se. Right. So, yeah, that's probably we, we can all probably give some sort of dozens of examples about the money. But those are the, my two top ones, at least. And so as we close, those are good ones. Um, you know, when you go to a church and you're trying to discern manipulation versus sincerity, do they trust in the gospel as the power of God to save? Or are they trusting in their own sort of ability to draw you, manipulate you? Do they trust in the Holy Spirit to convince people? Or do they put pressure on you to agree with them and everything and very quickly? 
Um, are they there to prop up their own denomination or movement or church, or are they trying to minister Christ to people? Mm. And it's difficult to get church leaders to understand that, that we're not here to ensure that our organization survives. We're here to minister to people. Whoever God brings and whatever their needs are, their needs may not be at this church. Hmm. But we're here to minister to people. God's in charge of keeping us going if he wants. Um, do they fake religious experience or exaggerate religious experience or blessing? Um, if you do what they do or stay at their church or movement? Or do, do they understand that life is difficult? That the Christian life is full of weakness and doubt and confusion? Change is slow. So often when I visit a church, and Cheryl and I are in the process of visiting churches now that we've moved here, so often I'll drive away and I'll say to my wife, it just seemed like they're selling. Everything's marketing and selling. I don't need to be sold. Hmm. And not only to watch out for it for others, but watch out for it ourselves. That we are patiently waiting upon God for everything, trusting him and his power and not trying to manipulate others. Trusting in Christ's righteousness as ours and, and, and God to bless us in his timing. So any, any final thought on this topic of manipulation? Yeah. Like first it's just kind of like, it's really sad that you, you, you're trying to look for a church and look what, look, look what the results are. Right. And I'm pretty sure there's other people there out there who not only are looking for a church, but uh, maybe are in churches and you just, this seems to be like the least of all evils. So, Man, I wish I wish there was like one, one answer to kind of make it all go away. But I think at the end of the day, right, we we trust the Lord and we pray that if I don't know, our listeners out there are looking for a church or looking for something different that God can can lead you to do something um, that someone that fears God preaches a simple gospel, right? Message, no manipulation, no no lighter smokes, just the God cares for us because of everything that Christ has done. So I don't know, just kind of we're, we're praying for you, I guess. Not only you, Pastor, but kind of those who are um, hearing us and kind of maybe maybe going through a really tough situation. But yeah. yeah. No, I appreciate that. It's a good thought. We can end on that. I ain't picking up a paper till the wild wind blows. I ain't picking up a paper till the wild wind blows. I ain't picking up a paper till the wild wind blows. Say what we should say until we know we should know. I ain't picking up a paper, picking till the wild wind blows.